Through all of this, we can summarize that God simply cares about our actions, about the way we live our lives. An intellectual faith is not enough for the Lord. God wants to see good works as a result of our faith and to the point that our faith can stand daily life, trials, temptations, tribulation, and the test of time. That is the level of faith the Lord wants to see in each and every one of us. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Today we'll be explaining that the will of the Father is the way to salvation. Attaining God's salvation through Jesus Christ is not something that can happen by just saying certain things. We must do what God requires from us. We must obey the Father to be able to receive what He has in store for those that love Him. There is no other way. Doing the will of God the Father is the only way we have so we can attain eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only way and we need to do what He tells us to do literally as much as possible. Today's message is inspired on Matthew chapter 21 verses 28 to 41. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, blessing and honor, glory and praise and majesty be to you, O Lord. Lord God, I worship you, O Lord, because you are Lord, you are God. You are the creator of heaven and of all things, O Lord God. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, O Lord, that your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray always, O Lord, for your forgiveness and for your mercy. Heavenly Father, we depend on your mercy, Lord God, because there is nothing that we deserve, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, we do not have right to anything, but we depend, O Lord, only on your goodness. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, O God, that you help us to understand clearly, Lord, that we need to do your will, that we need to do those things that please you. Lord God, help us to be guided by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be sensitive, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, to desire those things that belong to you. Help us to understand, Lord God, that you are the only one that has life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today's key passage is in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 41. This is the word of the Lord. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a faraway country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruits. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first. 
and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and leave his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. We just read through three different situations, and it appears that the Lord spoke about these different situations at the same time, one behind the other. At least that is the way Matthew relates it. And we don't have any indications of otherwise. The first had to do with the father and two sons. The second had to do with John the Baptist, religious people, and tax collectors and harlots. And the third had to do with a landowner, his son, servants, and evil vine dressers. But all three situations have a few things in common. The first we can look at is that each situation involved people, their different positions and their actions. In the first instance, we see a father and his two sons. The father had a vineyard and he asked the first son he saw to go and work that day in the vineyard, but that son told him that he didn't want to go. Yet afterward, he regretted it and went to work. And the father encountered the second son and he asked him to go work in the vineyard also. And the second son told him he would go, but didn't go after all. Both sons had the same relationship with their father. It doesn't say that one was older than the other, nor give any other conditions or situations between the father and the sons. Yet one did the father's will and the other did not in the end. The father had asked both of them to work in the vineyard. The father required an action from them. Even though the father seemed to be the owner of the vineyard and may have had servants as a landowner, he still asked both of his sons to go and work. And so even though they were sons, the father's will was for them to go and work. And out of the two, only one did what he was supposed to and what was required of him, even though things did not start off that way. What mattered most to the father in this case was that one of the sons did finally obey and did as he was asked and labored and worked and produced like he was asked to. There was a son that did the father's will and there was a son that did not do the father's will. In the second instance, we read of John the Baptist, tax collectors, harlots, and religious people. And it's the basically the audience that the Lord is referring to. And the Lord explained that John came in the way of righteousness, something that not only involved speaking in public, but a lifestyle also, and that tax collectors and harlots, or sinners, believe what John the Baptist preached and taught. If we go back, the whole message of John the Baptist had to do with repentance and conversion of sins, of turning away from sins, of making a life change that was exemplified by a drastic change in actions. That is what the Lord was implying. These people that heard and accepted what John preached changed their lives. They started as something and became different people before the eyes of the Lord after. For instance, why were these tax collectors seen as evil? Because these were Hebrews that worked for the invading government, for Rome, and collected taxes on Rome's behalf, and beyond being seen as traitors, they were usually corrupt. They would take for Rome and take for themselves also from the people. And so there were thieves, most of them. And the harlots were women that obviously sold themselves sexually for money. They were prostitutes. But also, and before the eyes of the Lord, harlotry does not involve only the exchange of money. 
but also the action that a person has different sexual partners or sexual relations with someone outside of the marriage. This defines the age-old question that many women used to ask themselves, because they really don't anymore, of what makes a woman lose their dignity or honor. The answer is having sexual relations with just one person and not being married to them. That is the way God sees it. Harlotry or fornication is seen as having sex out of marriage, whether with one person or with many. The moment a person crosses that one time is enough. And so, what was their repentance like? After hearing John the Baptist preach and being baptized by them as a public statement of their decision to change their lives, both the tax collector and the harlot in this case left behind their evil ways. They stopped doing what was wrong before the eyes of God. The tax collector stopped stealing and doing whatever else that was corrupt. And the harlot stopped selling herself or stopped engaging in sexual encounters. There was a clear life change. And the religious people, the people the Lord was addressing directly, did not have a change in heart of, or life. They heard John the Baptist and just continued in whatever sinful lifestyle they were leading. They may have been morally correct in most of their external actions, but in their hearts, they were very far away from God, doing religious things for all the wrong reasons. And God cares about what is deep in our hearts. He cares about our actions, but He also cares about the intent of the heart. Both are critical for the Lord, for it is written, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked, open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so both the tax collector and the harlot had a change in heart that was then reflected in their actions and a change in life. There was evidence or visible fruits worthy of repentance in their lives. And the Lord said that these repentant sinners would enter first the kingdom of God. They would be ahead of the religious people because of their change in life. Even though they did sinful things before, there was the act of repentance in their lives. They left their old lives behind to start new, looking to please God with their repentance. And in the third instance, we read of a certain landowner, his son, his servants, and evil vine dressers. All the people in the story had actions involved with their lives. The landowner, outside of being the owner, it says that he planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. So there were certain things that he either did personally or had hired others to do them. But by virtue of being the landowner, he used his resources, his time, and his care to do these things. Then you have these vine dressers that had evil intentions because we can read of them in the passage, who the landowner leased the land to. So they were not doing things for free. That means that they were getting their share of things. And we read that the landowner sent his servants to collect what was his but the vine dressers beat one, killed one, and even stoned another servant. So the servants suffered for doing their job. And then finally, he sent his son with the notion that they would respect him. But their hunger for more, their greed, and their envy took them to even kill the landowner's son. 
because they thought that by doing so, they would be able to keep everything for themselves. And so the son was killed simply for being the heir. He was doing his father's will, but yet they killed him for it. So in every story, there are actions from each of its respective characters, some good and some bad, and some even irresponsible or indifferent. The main point that the Lord is driving in all of these passages is that each person has their respective part in things and our actions matter to God. That's the main point. With regards to the story with the father and the two sons, there was one that did the father's will even though he didn't respond well at first. And the other son, even though he did respond well, did not do his father's will in the end. So one of the sons pleased his father and the other one didn't. With that, we can see that we may not respond well at first to God's demands, but what matters most is if in the end we wind up doing what he asks. The only ones that will please God the Father are the ones that do his will. Just because a person thinks they are a son or daughter of God is not enough on its own. We must do the Father's will, especially if we believe we are his children. Regarding the story with John the Baptist, the tax collectors and the harlots and the religious, the tax collectors and harlots obviously lived in sin to start, but they repented when they heard John the Baptist's message. They let go of their sinful ways and allowed themselves to be transformed by the message. But the religious people did not change. They thought they were fine, so they ignored John the Baptist and his message. They did not repent and turn from their religious ways. And so the takeaway here is that where we started does not necessarily matter to the Lord. What matters to him is that when we are confronted by his word, by his message, that we turn away from our sinful ways and turn towards him. You can have whatever past you may have, but if you repent and convert, if you abandon whatever it is you were doing wrong and start over with him, the word says that he forgives our sins and buries them in the very depths of the ocean. He basically gives us a fresh new start. And the point also is that we don't fall back to our old lifestyle, that we stay on the path. We can never justify our sins and wrongs, especially before a holy God. No one can say that they are free from sin because no one is. This is what the scripture says in 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we are just realistic and we admit to our sins and turn away from them, we gain everything with the Lord. But if a person doesn't want to turn away from their sins, if they don't want to change, then how can God forgive? He can't. He is not going to force anyone to change. We always have free will. And so in the last story regarding the evil vine dressers, the vine dressers were getting paid for the work. It wasn't volunteer work, meaning that they would be rewarded for their labor or simply for understanding certain realities. The Lord was using this story to refer to God the Father as the landowner, the servants as the prophets, the son as himself, and the evil vine dressers as the religious leaders. The landowner, or in other words, God, will simply not tolerate evil. We need to understand that God is God, and no matter what we do, we will be judged by our actions, especially if we do wrong to those that look to do the will of God. As people, we're supposed to come alongside those other people that are looking to do the will of the Father and not to oppose them, and least of all, to harm them. 
In the natural order of things in the story, the vine dressers should have just given the landowner his rightful product when the servants came for it, and they would have been rewarded and everyone would have been just fine. Through all of this, we can summarize that God simply cares about our actions, about the way we live our lives. An intellectual faith is not enough for the Lord. God wants to see good works as a result of our faith and to the point that our faith can stand daily life, trials, temptations, tribulation, and the test of time. That is the level of faith the Lord wants to see in each and every one of us. This is why he allows for different circumstances to happen in our lives, to see what is really in our hearts. If we're just going to give up, lead a hypocritical life, or endure and abide in him. In all of the instances we saw in our key passage, each person made decisions and their corresponding actions. Some made good decisions and some made poor decisions. The point is that every single person will give an account before the Lord for their actions, whether good or evil. The Bible is very clear in that there is a final judgment where we will give an account. God is watching. God is writing down somewhere what we do, and God will judge us accordingly. This is what the Word says. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. And the Word has this to say about giving account at that time. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. In Romans 14, it says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it also says they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so there are many other passages that talk about accountability and how the Lord will judge us according to our actions. There is no other way around it. People can come up with all kinds of excuses or misused Bible passages, but the truth is that each and every one of us will give an account. But the only ones that will find justification before the Lord, the only ones that will have access to the kingdom of God are those that endeavor to do His will. True faith in the Lord Jesus Christ consists of initial complete repentance and conversion, accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord, continual repentance and conversion, and following the Lord daily as the Lord He needs to be in our lives. That true faith is represented by doing God's will on earth until we breathe our last breath, keeping our intentions true in our hearts. This is what it's all about. For it is written, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. There is no other way to enter the kingdom of God. And this takes us to our final point. The only way to do the Father's will is by serving Him. Everything counts in our lives, whatever it is we do, if we do it in obedience to Him, under His direction, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. And in the book of Malachi, we find when it says, Then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before them. For those who fear the Lord 
and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. There is a difference to God between those that do good and those that do evil, between those that serve him and don't serve him, between those that do good works and those that do otherwise, between those that look to do his will and those that look to do their own will. And so we need to do the Father's will at whatever cost, no matter what the circumstances are, so we can attain the eternal life and eternal reward that only God can give through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at the grand scheme of things and compare that to what God, our Creator says, life within itself is quite simple. And there's only really one main choice to make, and that is whether we are going to follow the Lord or not. It's as simple as that, and everything stems off of that main decision. The question is how sincerely we make that decision, if we have decided to follow the Lord or not. If a person is not genuine about their faith, sooner or later, they will fall away. And by doing that, they will miss out on everything God has to offer in eternity. Why does it matter so much what we do to the Lord? Because there's too much to gain. The value of what is coming is unfathomable. It is not really possible for our finite and limited minds to grasp what God has in store. And the Lord is simply not going to hand such valuable things or give such rewards to people who cannot be faithful over the little we have now. For it is written, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? This is a very simple concept. If a person can't deal with the smaller insignificant things, how can they deal with the larger, more meaningful things? Some people think, for instance, that if they were given a million dollars, let's just say, then they would be able to make a great business. But what if they can't even handle the $5 in their pocket now? What do you think they're going to do with a million dollars if they actually get it? It's just like a person that has struggled and labored to start and keep running a company for years, and their children never took interest in the company or even educated themselves to have an idea of what needs to happen. What do you think they're going to do with the business if they inherit it? Those are the people that run thriving businesses into the ground because they are irresponsible, lack the knowledge, lack the rigor, and whatever else is required to keep things going. Now imagine, if you can, eternal things, things that we don't even know how they work or even what they are. If you don't learn how to do the things of the kingdom of God here and now in the little, you will never be able to do anything when it actually comes. And so if God says that we need to do His will here and now, no matter what the circumstances are, he is not demanding obedience just because, but rather because it is necessary so we can be ready for when His kingdom comes and it will come soon enough. But God will not give anyone access or any part to anything of His if they are not willing to do as He says. That is the bottom line. That is why doing the Father's will is the only way to salvation and eternal life because that is the only way we can legitimately be allowed to have what is coming 
and are able to deal with whatever that involves. So for your own good and benefit, choose to do the will of the Father. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be your effective and literal Lord so you can attain those things that matter most, starting with eternal life. If you do His will genuinely with the right intentions in your heart, you have everything to gain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, I give you thanks and I praise you because, Lord, you are merciful, you are gracious. You are truly good, Lord God. Heavenly Father, you give us access to incredible things through your Son, Jesus Christ, and you do it all as a gift. Heavenly Father, help us to understand the value of what you are giving us the opportunity that you are putting within our grasp. Help us to understand, Lord God, the importance of what is coming. That this here and now, Lord God, this temporary reality is no match for what is coming, for what is in your kingdom. Help us, O oh Lord, to stay focused on you, to stay focused on what happens after, Lord God, Help us, O oh Lord, to understand that your will is life to us, eternal life, Lord God. Help us, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father, to have a clear mind, to have an open heart, and to have a ready desire to do those things that please you. Because you are Lord, because you are God, and because no one can reward us the way that you will when the day comes, Lord God. When that judgment day comes, Heavenly Father, help us to serve you and to do your will as you are worthy of, Lord God, and also for our own good. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.